Would you turn with me, please, to our text that we've been looking at for weeks now in the third epistle of John towards the end of the New Testament, third John. In uh, these Friday evenings for, I guess this is, tonight will be the 15th, 15th session on a, a subject we're calling Prosperity Proven. We believe in prosperity. We believe that uh, salvation, cleansing of sin, and righteousness is God's will for every believer. We believe healing is God's will for every believer. Somebody says, well, why isn't everybody healed? Well, why isn't everybody saved and born again? Same answer. We also believe that it's God's will for everybody to prosper financially. And material. Somebody said, everybody, everybody. Somebody said, well, why aren't they all prosperous? Same reason they're not all healed. Same reason they're not all born again. Right? We have something to do with it. How you believe. Whether you receive. Whether you respond. Whether you obey. It's not just all up to the Lord. But in talking about it, we believe this. We believe it's God's will for all of us, all of his people, to prosper financially and materially. As well as every other way. But we can't just say, well, that's what we believe and you ought to believe it too. Why do you believe it? Is it somebody's opinion or theory? So we've been going to the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Right? And just going through uh, truth after truth after truth, proving that it used to be, it is, and it always will be God's will for us to be blessed materially. And financially. Right? So in our text here in 3 John 2 says that. In the New Testament. 3 John 2. He said. Just one chapter of course in 3 John. Verse 2 he said. Beloved. I wish. Or the margin says pray or desire. Above all things. That what? That what? So we're asking answering the question now. Is it God's will for us to prosper? Can we say that the Bible is God speaking to us? Did he say that he desired for us what was his will above all things that we what? Prosper Prosper and be in health. health. And somebody said, well, yeah, but then he gets to the most important part. Well, no, you're not reading it quite right. He said that it was his will that we prosper and be in health. Then he tells you how it's going to happen. It's going to happen how? Even as. Right? Now let me say that again so you understand what we said. He didn't say, beloved, I desire above all things that you prosper and be in health, but most importantly, that your soul prospers. What did he say? Even as. In other words, you're going to prosper Physically, he's obviously talking about the outer man because he talks about the inner man prosperity at the end of the verse. You're going to prosper outwardly. You're going to be healthy physically. How's it going to happen? Even as your soul prospers. And it's what we've already been referring to earlier. What does that mean? Well, the soul has to do with the mind and the will The Bible talks about your mind being renewed so that you're not conformed to the world. Prosperity, physical prosperity and physical healing doesn't start in the pocketbook and the body. It starts in your heart. It starts in your thinking being changed. Your believing being changed. You're not going to prosper in your checking accounts and savings accounts and in your pocketbook and you're still talking broke. You're still believing it's not God's will for you to have anything. you got to prosper in your soul. Right? You begin to talk prosperous. You begin to think prosperous. You begin to believe. You're changed inside. And as that happens, then you're going to prosper outwardly. you got to quit talking like a sick person. you got to quit saying, well, you know, I'm over 40 now. I guess it's just all downhill from here. No, 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 no. Huh? Well, see, you're not prospering in your soul. You're thinking sick. You're thinking broke. How many understand you must stop thinking sick and broke? 
You must stop talking sick. I don't care how sick you may be in a physical way and feel in your body. You can't talk sick if you want to be healed. Right? I don't care how broke you are in your accounts. You can't talk broke if you want to prosper. Romans 4.17 even refers to calling those things that be not as though they were. You might be hurting, body ravaged, bad reports from the doctors, but you got to begin to say, he took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. He carried my pains. By his stripes I'm healed. I call my body healed. And even though everything says you have to die, you expect to live anyway. Did you hear me? You prosper in your soul. You talk living and not dying. You talk health and not sickness. Even though you got no money, you don't know where it might come from, you begin to say, no, no, I'm a giver. And because I am, God brings to me. He deals with people to give to me. It's coming to me all the time. Good measure. Press down. Shaken together. Running over. God deals with people to give into my bosom. He always supplies all my needs. I'll pay every bill. I'll come out. Right? I call every bill paid. Call every need. That's why we stand up and say these things. We're not just doing it by ritual. We believe it. We release our faith. And it's happening. I said, it's happening. We're marking things off these lists right and left. Is that right? Back in February, we as a church held up our list before the Lord of everything we desired to give into the kingdom in this year, 2004. Every debt that we had to pay them off and everything we desired to do just Whatever we'd like to do for ourselves or for our family. And I'm telling you, we've been marking these things off right. How many raise your hand and say, I've marked something off my list? Look at that. Hands everywhere. We're thankful to the Lord. And the rest of the list is happening, coming to pass in short order. How many believe the Lord told you in his word, it was his will, his desire for you that you prosper? Right? Be in health even as your soul prospers. So for 14 previous sessions, we've gone back and seen, is it really the will of God for us to prosper? Can you prove it in the Bible? And we look back and we saw that just a few of God's names, El Shaddai. We couldn't find any poverty in that. Jehovah Jireh. Couldn't find any poverty. We, we said, what about the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're alive today in heaven. If we could have them down here for an interview tonight and said, you know, Father Abraham, many Christians today believe that sometimes it's not God's will for you to have any money. They believe sometimes God's working out something through poverty. What do you think? What kind of God did you know? <laughs> Abraham knew a God who made him rich. Rich, Isaac did, Jacob did, Joseph did. I mean, the list goes on, and for 14 sessions, we've talked about it, looked at it. Well, in last uh, Friday session, we looked at something that we called the glory of God's house. The glory of God's house. And this is doubly important. In fact, I have had direction from the Lord months ago about this and I didn't know how or when I could get into it but I see we've begun to get into this the Lord gave me an instruction I'll read it to you if I've got it here this was back in uh, actually October of last year I wrote it down October of last year the Lord spoke to my heart I don't mean to hurt an audible voice but very distinctly inside me he said teach the people the honor And glory, the majesty of the Lord. And I put a subnote, the things of the Lord. How all the things of the Lord should be treated and should be handled. And so I begin to study it myself. And these months have passed, but now we've begun to get into it in this series about the glory of God's house. We said, you know, if God is a God of poverty, if God is a God who wants his people to be broke, then he tells us in Ephesians 5 to be imitators of him, be followers of him, right? I mean, you can learn a lot about somebody by how they live. And so we went over to Revelation and tried to check out God's place, right? And the place he's building for us. And we couldn't find any poverty in any of that, right? He didn't say in my father's house are many efficiencies, even many condos. 
What do you say? Mansions. And that word we said comes from the English word manor, which means landed estate. I mean, God's place. I mean, the heavenly uh, city, New Jerusalem. I mean, everything made out of gold and, and pearls and, and jewels. And we see Jesus with a big gold band across his chest. Well, you know, if he didn't like that stuff, he wouldn't do that. I mean, I know that's simplistic, but right, I mean, if he didn't like it, and how many know that it doesn't work? That you, you do one thing and you tell your children, now don't do this. Hmm? That's not going to work, right? I mean, you got to set an example because they're going to imitate you. And if the Father God, if it was his will for us to keep everything muted and just, you know, be very, very tied and, and just have the cheapest and the least, then he would demonstrate that. Right? In heaven. Everything would be bare. Minimalist. Right? No frills. How many understand God is a frill God? God is a God of excess. He's a God of super abundance. He's a God of the best of the best. The finest. Right? And didn't he say, if you're willing and you're obedient, what will happen to you? You will eat. You will enjoy the what? The good. That literally means the fat, which in Old Testament talk means what? Best. Best. The best. After all, if the best, the finest houses, the finest clothes, the finest cars and and jewels, if that's not for us, who's it for? Do we have to say it's for the devil? It's for the unsaved. It's for the unbelievers. Is it? Is it? I know a minister that I know. He bought a a dog. And this dog, it got out. Well, he told folks it cost $15,000. I never heard so much static. People called me out of the blues. Can you believe it? Fifteen thousand dollars for a dog. That's ridiculous. That's wrong. That's wrong. Well, (laughs) first of all, if there's a fifteen thousand dollar dog, and I'm sure there's hundred thousand dollar dogs, who are they for? Who ought to have them? Right? Who they're saying he ought not have them. Well, why shouldn't he have them? Who should have it? I happen to know some, I don't know them personally, but I know some of the ways some of these things work. These are guard dogs, highly trained. A lot of drug dealers use them. So I guess they're just for drug dealers. You understand what I'm saying? Who should have these things? (laughs) Oh boy. When you get to talking about, do you feel it? I mean, when you get to talking about these things, you come up against all kind of tradition. And you come up against all kind of uh, wrong thinking, unscriptural, biblical. Somebody said, well, I I don't think it's right. Why? You didn't pay for it. Right? Now, here's what people are doing. They're assuming that they used offering money to buy the dog. Well, now, if somebody took up an offering for the church building fund and they used that to buy the dog with, that would be wrong. No question about that. But how would you know if you just heard that? How many understand it's just as wrong for a lay person, a member in the church, to take tithe money and buy furniture with it? Just no difference. And yet people act like, oh, that's horrible. I mean, so-and-so, they took up money, you know, to build an orphanage. And they went and bought a car with it. Oh, that's one of the lowest, dirtiest things that you ever... Exactly the same thing. For any believer to take tithe money and spend it on clothes or jewelry or or anything. People are twisted. Right? No, they don't think right. Here's something that will help you. It's not what you have that's the issue. It's how did you get it. Did you hear? 
It's not what you have. It's how you got it. If it came the right way. If the Lord gave it to you. Why should anybody question or have anything to say about it? If you lied and stole and whatever, then of course, that's, that's bad. That's wrong, no matter who you are. We begin to talk about the glory of God's house. We saw in heaven, he lives large. Right? I mean, beautiful. We see on the earth, he didn't say he has one will for heaven, a completely different will for the earth. He said, pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and even from Old Testament times. We see that when the Lord gave directions concerning the building of the tabernacle, he went first class. Right? I mean, he said... All this is to be done is completely out of gold. All this is to be with jewels. All the, I mean, we look, a temporary thing, a tent, it costs millions and millions of dollars. Just a tent. Everybody say, nice tent. And that's God's idea. That was his idea. And then when you got to building of the temple, oh, now, I mean, they pulled out stops, brother. God gave David the blueprint. He wrote it down and built it exactly. You know, Moses did that with the tabernacle. Well, David did this with the temple. And he accumulated money like water all his life. And then he turned it over to his son. And Solomon built the house. And we figured up billions. Billions. And it wasn't that big of a building. Billions. One thing we didn't even figure into it. 187,000 workers. For I believe it was, uh, I think I wrote it down here somewhere. For, please stand by. Seven years. I figured up approximate wages, 183,000 workers for seven years is about 12 billion. How much you keep adding stuff up and this thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Whose idea was this? Now, if God was opposed to spending much, he could have told them different. He could have said, look, just build it out of uh, walnut and pine. And no need to put all that gold in there. We can save billions. Just varnish it. (laughs) Right? Just varnish the wood. And, you know, uh, steel is fine. You don't have to go with silver. Just go with aluminum. You can save billions. B, B with a B. Billions. Was God interested in saving money? Why would he want to save money? You know, Brother Kenneth Copeland said one time, he said, uh, the Lord asked him, somebody's talking about, you know, when we save money on them, we save. He said, what are they going to do with all this money they're saving for me? What are they going to do with it? Well, he never sees it. Right? All the money that people save. On the Lord's house. He never sees that money. Right? Do you see what I'm talking about now? But in learning about God, we see his desire. We see his preferences. We see his will. Some people would call God flashy. Right? Walls. Solid gold. Jewels everywhere. That's what God likes. Isn't it? That's what he likes. Well, if he likes it, we ought to like it. Is that, I mean, you're going to stand up and say, God, you're wasting money. I mean, you, you don't have to do all. You're going to tell him that? I'm not. If he says everything gold, I'm going to say, gold it is. It's pour the gold on. What else are you going to use it for? What else is better? What's a higher purpose for the use of anything in this earth? Than God's things. Certainly not. When you're doing the will of God. You cannot waste money. Doing what he told you to do. The best and the finest. And the highest way. You'll never waste money. As long as you're doing what he told you to do. But let's go on tonight.
We looked at that. We studied that. But I'd like for you to uh, believe with me, first of all. <laughs> but uh, go with me to Genesis, and we'll pray before we read this. And believe with me to get further into this tonight. Genesis 31 is where we're going. Let me pray with you. Father, we ask you to teach us these things. Reveal to us the glory of your house. Teach us the glory and the honor of your things and how they are to be handled and and how they are to be conducted. Help us to break out of small thinking and poverty thinking and help us to rise up to doing things in a way that really glorifies you and honors you as it ought ought to be. And that we might come up into faith to believe for all the resources and ability to do the work that you've called us to do in a way that glorifies you. Open our eyes to the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Genesis 31. I want to read this to you and then we'll read the scripture. We actually ended up on this when David stood up and they were dedicating those huge offerings. You remember we read about that? They were giving billions to build the Lord's house. This is over in 1 Chronicles 29. You don't have to turn there. But David stood up at the end of that, all the fathers of the nation, they put in all their money. I mean, it was billions came in that day. And David blessed the Lord before the congregation. He said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, our father forever. He said, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Now listen to this. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all, and in your hand is power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. So God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. He said, riches and honor come from you. How many believe that? Riches and honor comes from God. Say it out loud. Riches and honor come from God. Say it again. Riches and honor come from God. Say it again. Riches and honor come from God. Comes from God. Now you'll find the phrase. Riches and honor. Riches and glory I don't know, at least a dozen different places in the Bible that I'm aware of linked together. Riches and glory. Now, a lot of times when people think of glory, they don't think riches. They think, well, now that's secular. That's natural. And that's got nothing to do because, after all, money's the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible said, is it? What did it say? The love of money. That's a very different thing. Right? Big, huge difference. Is God opposed to you being rich? Or did he say it was his will above all things? That you'd prosper. But see, so much of the church world doesn't believe that. Millions and millions and millions of Christians do not believe what you and I are talking about tonight. They don't believe it. But I believe it. I said, I believe it. I believe he told me it was his will for me above all things. I'd prosper and be in health. But my soul's got to prosper, right? My mind's got to be renewed. I got to come out of all the ungodly, unscriptural, traditional thinking. And oh, there's a bunch of it. I said, there's a bunch of it. And you'll think you're doing pretty good and you'll run into something else. You'll think, oh man, just like that $15,000 dog a few minutes ago. Some of you bumped up to some stuff right then. Right? Why? Yeah, I was talking to somebody today about some of these things. And uh, I was reminded of Job. Anybody remember Job? 
Job, if you go back with a calculator, it won't take you too much. Figure up all his livestock and all the people it would take to run that. And you see very easily he was a multi-billionaire. Very easily. The Bible said he was the richest man around. But he was a righteous man. Godly man. And the devil, how many can see the devil hated Job? Oh, he hated him. Why? Why? Well, the devil hates a godly man or woman. Certainly. The devil's perfect will for you is that you die and go to hell with him. Now, if you're saved, you've already missed the devil's perfect will. Somebody say, thank God. I've already missed the devil's perfect will for my life. But his acceptable will is that you go to heaven now. Right now. I mean, if you're not going to go to hell with him, get out of the earth. Don't influence anybody for Jesus. Don't tell anybody else about what you know. If you're going to go to heaven, go right now. He hates godly people. He hates righteous people. But if there's anything he'd hate worse, it's a rich, righteous man or woman. Oh, oh, that's why you see people get so worked up about this stuff. Because the devil hates it. Oh, he hates it. Why? Because not only was Job righteous, he was so rich, he was so powerful, his whole city listened to him. He had such wise. How many understand in this world, money is power? Right? If you don't believe it, you just ought to see some things. I've seen situations where people come in in a certain way. You fly into town in a $50 million airplane. Entourage of stuff come to meet you. People treat you different. The guy at the stand treats you different. I mean, the guy at the gas station. I mean, people treat you different. And a lot of times, people that wouldn't even give a, a nod to somebody else because they're supposed to be so rich, they'll stand there and listen, act polite. And... <laughs> Did you hear me? Yeah. This is not just my theory now. Ecclesiastes said, the poor man's wisdom is not heard. Right. Well, how many understand God does not want his wisdom to be unheard? Right. It should be heard. Yes. Right? How many understand it takes money? To broadcast things and get things out and it shouldn't be a problem for the kingdom of God because God is so powerful. But people think wrong. He said riches and honor. Everybody say riches and honor. honor. It comes from you. Comes from you. You got your place in Genesis? Uh, Genesis 31. Everybody say riches and honor. honor. Notice this language here. Genesis 31.1. The Bible is talking about how, we studied this already, how Jacob came over with just a stick in his hand and his backpack, I guess. And after, you know, a number of years... Oh, he's got all this livestock, he's got all these servants, he's got all this stuff. And in Genesis 31, verse 1 says, He heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and of all that was our father's has he gotten all this glory. All this what? What are they talking about? They're talking about stuff. Why use the word glory? Because people don't think that way. They don't. They think glory has got nothing to do with riches. Hold your place here. We're in Genesis. Go all the way to Revelation. How many figure you find something in the front and in the back? You probably find it in the middle too. Right? Revelation 5. 10. Revelation 5.10, he talked about he saw a group stand up that were redeemed to God out of every kindred, every tongue, and people from every nation. And he said, he's made us to our God kings and priests. What? Paupers? 
No, priests. Kings. And we shall what? Reign on the earth. How about in the ages to come? Are you going to be broke? Are you going to be under? Are you going to be over? Ruling and reigning. You're getting trained right now for that. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's millions. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and. Oh, surely they made a mistake. I mean, this is in heaven. This is the glory of God. Why would you talk about riches? Right here, this is that a misprint, you think? Riches? Riches? And wisdom and strength and what? Honor and glory and blessing. Riches and glory are linked together in the scriptures many places. Don't take my word for it. Go look it up. Numerous places you see riches and glory, riches and honor, even concerning the Lamb of God. Riches. Let's just back up again now. All the riches that are in the earth. Is it for the devil? No. Did he create it? No. Does it belong to him? No. Should it be in the hands of unbelievers? No. Should it be used to build the finest casinos no. that money could buy? How many understand that they will level Casinos that cost hundreds of millions of dollars. There's nothing wrong with them. Just level it to build a new one. Did you hear me? You talk about money. Just pour it in there like water. And yet somebody paid too much for the carpet in the church. And folks going, oh, you wasted that. You wasted. You, you could have given that to the poor. Let me say something to you, and I know some people, if they didn't hear everything that went before it, you might not like it, but it needs to be said. Jesus' primary ministry was not to the poor. His primary ministry is to getting the word to people, getting people saved, not ministering to the poor. He did minister to the poor. That was not job number one. And yet we got all kind of people in Christendom today, they think that is Christianity. Well, you can give to the poor and then be lost. And if a man gets all kind of stuff and loses his soul, what did it benefit him? Right? Our number one job is not to minister to the poor. Now, we should minister to the poor. Jesus did. He did it so frequently that, you know, when Judas got up to go out and betray him, they thought maybe he was giving something to the poor. He did do it. But that was not his primary goal in ministry. There are people that try to tell us, well, you know, you ought to be, instead of spending money on a big building, you're supposed to be helping the poor. Number one job is getting the word out. Did you hear me? We should be helping the poor. I'm believing to get so strong, we can do a lot of things for a lot of people, but that's not number one. Are you with me? Do you understand how so many people are deceived in this? The kingdom of God is not just, you know, people talk about, well, you know, religious organizations, their main objective is humanitarian. What do they mean by that? They mean doing natural things for people. That is not number one on the kingdom of God. Number one, ministering to people's spirits, getting the word in them, right? And how many understand, as your soul prospers, what's going to happen? Outside you're going to prosper. Physically you're going to prosper, right? And besides that, how can you help the poor when you're poor yourself? Who's going to help the poor if all of us poor? Right? I know another fellow one time, he was traveling all around and he was flying to minister to people. He's flying first class all the time. And somebody wanted to argue about that. They said, you know, you could save so much money by just riding back in the coach like I do. And the fellow said, uh, who's going to minister to the people up in first class? Not you. Right? 
There's so much wrong thinking in these areas. But you know, you got to ask yourself sometimes, if I'm not paying the bill, why would I care? Right? I mean, why would I be so worked up about it? If I'm not paying the bill, you're judging them for something you don't even know how they got that way. What if somebody came up to them and said, I want to pay your airfare? Didn't cost them a dime. That kind of stuff's happened to me all the time. A lot of stuff I have, it's very expensive. It's very nice, but it costs me nothing. (laughs) Why would it be wrong for me to have it? I've actually had people tell me, almost use these words, that that was too good for me. Because I'm a preacher. Well, in that case, I guess I should have been an outlaw. (laughs) Then I could have really had a lot of stuff and nobody would have said nothing about it. Right? And you know, there's a lot of people, I've talked to them. I have sat across tables and talked to people who've got a call on their life and they won't answer it. Because they believe they have to be broke to serve God. They have aspirations. They want to be powerful financially. And they've been running from the call for decades. I'm thinking of specific people. They won't obey the call. They won't. Why? Because they believe that they will never have anything if they go into the ministry. And it's not in the Bible. It's men's thinking. Wrong thinking. Riches and glory. Everybody said out loud. Riches and glory. Do you see it? Riches and glory. Go to Isaiah 61, please. I'm working up towards something. Can you stay with me a little bit tonight? I understand some things you can't do in 10 minutes. You know, just uh, Isaiah 61. Are you there? He starts out by talking about the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Whoo, glory. Because he's anointed me. And then he talks about he sent me. Everybody say sent. Sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Sent me to preach liberty to the captive. Sent me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he goes on down in verse 6. He says, you shall be named the priests of the Lord. We saw that in Revelation, didn't we? Our God has made us. Jesus has made us unto our God. Kings and priests. You'll be named the priests of the Lord. Men will call you the ministers of our God. And you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory, you'll boast yourselves. Glory and riches. How many understand this? Let's get real basic. How many understand it's more glory to the Lord and his word and his things for us to be in here tonight than by the side of the road? And I'm yelling because you can't hear me, you know, across the ditch. Now, if that's where you are, that's where you are. But how many believe God could bring you up to a higher place so that everything you have and everything you do, everything about you bespeaks excellence? Right? How many understand that you and I are ambassadors for the Lord? We are his representatives. Right? When Phyllis and I go to meetings with business people in town, or other ministers, or in other meetings, how many think we ought to walk in with cutoffs and raggedy shirt and holes in our sandals and pull up in the most wore-out car that you've ever seen? Who do we represent? We represent you. We represent Faith Life Church. We represent the kingdom from Branson. We represent, most of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Somebody said, well, I I don't have much money. Well, the widow didn't either. But she represented. Didn't she? Why? If you're doing the best you can with what you have, the Lord looks at your heart. And the Bible said in 2 Corinthians, he said, it's accepted. Your offerings and your giving is accepted, not according to what a man doesn't have, but according to what you have. You know, we grew up in Mississippi, 
We had plenty to eat, but we didn't have a lot of stuff. And sometimes our clothes weren't, you know, it wouldn't have been the most fashionable thing. But I assure you this, it had a crease in it that you could part your hair with. And it was clean. Did you hear me? You're doing the best. How many understand there's no excuse to be dirty? You can take some sand and find a mud hole. Or go down to the creek, right? And get clean. If you want to. If you make just a little bit of effort, you can have what you have in the best condition. If you're believing for a new car, that's great. But you don't let your old one go without a wash job for six months. Did you hear me? You do the best you can with what you have. You keep your stuff up to the best level that you know. How many believe this church? We ought not let it just get dirty and filthy. It ought not stink when you go in the bathrooms. and Everything's overgrown. And we say, we saved X amount, thousand dollars last year on cleaning products we didn't buy. And on maintenance, aren't you proud of me? So now what are we going to do with that money we saved? The Lord never sees this money that people are supposed to be saving for Him. No. We do. We should do the very best we can right now. There's other folk that's bigger than us, and there's other folk that got more money than us, and other churches that got more money. But the widow did better than everybody there because she gave 100% of what she had. And that's not just money. That's your heart. That's your effort. That's your desire. So nobody can outdo us if we put our heart and mind to it. Right? And everybody could be the same, could be on the same level if you're willing to do the best. The best within your reach. The best within your control. The best. Right? We have to ascertain in our heart and by the Holy Ghost what's the best we can do right now. Where are we at? But how many are believing we won't stay there? We'll come up to where our best is much better. Right? And we just keep going up and up. And how many believe we should aspire to do the very best that's available in the planet? Right? How many of these people in the kingdom, there ought to be somebody who keeps growing and keeps getting to the place where they can do the best money can buy. The best that is in the earth. And how many believe that nothing less, nothing less if you're able to do it, would be what you should do for the kingdom of God. Is he worthy of the best? All the honor, all the glory, all the riches belong to him. He said, you'll eat the riches of the Gentiles. Somebody say amen. Amen. That means so be it. And in their glory, you'll boast yourself. There's a lot more here, but I won't take time to get into it. Uh, Go, please, to the uh, Exodus The 28th chapter. Let's begin to get into something else here. This is so big. I mean, I think I could stay here all night with you on this. But we won't do that unless the Lord says so. In uh, Exodus. 28th chapter. How many know you can disagree without being disagreeable? Huh? Huh? You say, well, I I don't believe in all that prosperity stuff like y'all preach over there. You just smile and say, okay. All right, fine. We still love you. You believe in Jesus, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Me too. We're going to heaven, right? Right. Yeah, good, great. Don't have to fuss. Don't have to fight. Don't have to be mean. Don't have to be sharp. Don't have to be harsh. Right? Be nice. Look at your neighbor and say, "Be be nice. Be nice. That's all the time. Exodus 28, and I should read this to you from the Amplified. We're talking about what kind of God we serve. What is his will? In Exodus, the 28th chapter, something interesting here. We read how the Lord gave instructions about how the house should be. We're talking about the glory of God's house. But look at this. Exodus 28. The Lord said, from among the Israelites, take your brother, talking to Moses, Aaron and his sons with him, that he may minister to me in the priest's office. 
even Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And you shall make for Aaron, your brother, sacred garments for honor and for beauty. For what? Now, what are we talking about? Are we talking about clothes? We're talking about clothes, right? That the preachers are going to wear. (laughs) Some of you laughing already. (laughs) We're not going to ask you to buy us a pair of socks, okay? (laughs) Just relax. We've already received the offering. My church takes good care of me. Don't you worry about that. We're talking about the Bible now. He said, you are to make them clothes, garments, for what? Two things. For honor, that same word's translated glory. For honor or glory. And for what? Beauty. They're supposed to be beautiful. You know, a lot of, I won't say a lot of people, some people that preach a twisted message about women, they misinterpret, misapply scripture over in uh, Timothy and in First Peter, where it talks about that the women are to be adorned in modest apparel. Does anybody know what modest means? It's not the same as ugly. Right? I think a lot of people thought that that meant the women are to be adorned in ugly apparel. Look it up. It's not in the Greek. It's not in the English. Not ugly apparel. What? I mean, let's be sensible. What does modest mean? Not too high cut. Not too low. Not too tight. Not too thin. But should it be pretty? Could it be attractive? Could it be rich stuff? A few names leap to mind that I have come to understand in recent years. I won't do any advertising, but. (laughs) Phyllis just has a constant stream of fine clothes coming to her. But I tell you what, she has sewn clothes. Over the years, she has given away, I don't know how many clothes. Sow clothes, you reap clothes. Right? You keep sowing better seed, what begins to happen? Begin to get a higher quality harvest. Coming back to you. Same with me. I've just had better and better stuff through the years. I remember when I first started out, I had two jackets. And they were about as cheap as you could pay for a jacket. So I wore one one time, and then I'd change. You know, I'd wear the other one the other time. And there were times when I felt bad about what I had to wear because I'm going somewhere. People are going to see me. I'm going to get up in front of crowds. But it's the best I had. So I'd thank God for it. And we'd have it clean. We'd have it pressed and nice. And I'd say, thank you, Lord, for bringing me up. I'd quote this sometime. Garments for what? Honor and beauty. Right? Honor and beauty. Is that the will of God? Has it always been the will of God? For all his people. Because you've got to remember now, Jesus has now made us all priests and kings, right? Unto the Lord our God. All of us. Let's read some more about it. Tell all who are expert, whom I've endowed with skill and good judgment, that they are to make Aaron's garments to sanctify him for my priesthood. They'll make these garments a breastplate. An ephod, a robe, long sleeve tunic of checkerwork, a turban, a sash, a band. He goes on to say in verse 5, They shall receive from the people and use gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. Now who's talking? Tell me who's talking. Is this God's idea? Very specific. Keeps going. They'll make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, fine twine linen skillfully woven and worked. It'll have two shoulder straps to join the two back and front edges so it'll be held together. These skillfully woven girding band that's on the ephod will be made of the same. Gold, blue, purple, scarlet, fine twine linen. And you'll make two onyx and beryl stones and engrave on them the names of the twelve sons of Israel. 
Skip on down verse 11. With the work of stone engraving, like the engraving of a signet, you'll engrave the two stones. You'll set them in sockets of gold. And you'll put the two stones upon the shoulder straps. He's got gold. What would you call those? Epaulets? Gold epaulets with big honking onyx stones. <laughs> Who said this? Whose idea is this? Maybe I need one of these. You'll make the sockets and rosettes of gold. Two chains of pure gold. Not none of this plated stuff now. Some of us it's plated 18 karat. Not good enough. Got to be pure. Through and through. No plated. Just all gold. Boy, don't you know when these guys stepped out for ministry? If it was in the sunshine, people are going, whoo. All this gold, I mean, it's got to be pure gold, bright, these stones. He said, uh, you'll make a breastplate. You'll make it of gold, blue, purple, and the breastplate shall be square and doubled. You'll set in it four rows of stones. The Lord likes stones. He made them, you know. Sardius, topaz, carbuncle, emeralds, sapphire. Now, these are big enough. I mean, they're like this. Jacinth, agate, amethyst, beryl onyx, jasper, set in gold filigree. My, my, my. You'll make the breastplate chains of pure gold twisted like cords. And he went on to describe it's all gold and it's all these jewels. I won't necessarily read the whole thing, but he goes on to talk about. Let's see. Make the, Verse 31, the robe of ephod is to be all blue. There will be a hole in the center of it to slip over the head. And it will be a binding of woven work so that it may not fray or tear, the Amplified says. So the Lord don't like tore and frayed stuff. Right? He said, make it this way so it doesn't frazzle and fray. He don't want to see all this torn and frazzled stuff. I'm reading the Bible now, right? He goes on to say, you make the pomegranates of blue and purple, verse 33, gold bells. My, my, my. Then he talked about him a hat, a turban. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, holy to the Lord. Fasten it on the front of the turban with a blue cord. Verse 38, it'll be on Aaron's forehead. Verse 39, weave the long sleeve tunic of checker work. Fine linen, silk. Make a turban of fine linen or silk. Make a girdle, the work of an embroiderer. You'll make long sleeve tunics and belts and sashes and caps for what? For what? Glory. And honor and beauty. And you'll put them on Aaron, your brother, and his sons with them. You'll anoint them and ordain them and sanctify them that they may serve me as priests. My, my, my. Very specific. He says, this is how I want them dressed when they come in to minister before me. How many believe this would have been expensive? What would this have cost today? Huh? You went in to the tailor and you said, I want this made like this. It's got to be out of these certain materials. What do you think the bill would be? We're talking about one suit. And then you have to go over to the jeweler because half of this outfit's jewelry. And you say, I want you to make this and you got to have these certain kind of stones and it got to be this size. How much would it have been? Whose idea was it? The glory of his house. The glory. Are you with me now? Go with me to uh, First Kings, I believe it is, and I think we can close with this. First Kings, the tenth chapter. I have a lot more, but for time's sake, we won't. Endeavor to get into it. First Kings chapter 10. You have to remember, like First Corinthians 10 says, that the things that happened 
that are recorded in the Old Testament are written for our examples. They're written as admonition to us. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, I believe that it says. How many understand that Solomon's rule and reign is representative of something? The Bible talks about king of kings. We have page after page that is recorded of Solomon's kingdom and how he operated. It's representative of the Lord himself. And you know, Solomon didn't ask for this. You remember when Solomon became king and he offered all these sacrifices. He gave all these huge offerings to the Lord and the Lord appeared to him. And said, what, ask me, what do you want? What did he say? He said, I got a big job in front of me here. I'm stepping into my daddy's shoes, King David. I got millions of people in this nation. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. And the Lord was pleased with that question, wasn't he? He said, you asked the right thing. And because you asked that, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. Riches, strength, and honor, and glory, and long life. It's always been God's will. Right? Always been God's will. Now look at this. It describes down through the ninth chapter all the stuff it took to run Solomon's house. How many millions and millions were coming into him all the time. The Bible said he laid up so much gold that they didn't even want silver anymore. They said, we got a load of silver. He said, ah, take that somewhere else. We already got too much silver. We're only taking gold now. That's right. That's where they got to. Silver was accounted as nothing, the Bible said. That's how rich they were. Hmm? That's like saying, you know, we don't take $100 bills no more. Huh? We only, only take thousands, so it's just not worth fooling with. Now, you think that sounds funny. I know of a man. I know of a man. I could call his name and where he's at. And somebody was talking to him about a deal, an investment. And they finally got to the numbers, and the return was supposed to be how much? Ten million. Ten million. And he said, oh, I'm not going to fool with that. He's serious. He's got that kind of money. He said, it's not worth fooling with. Just to make ten million? Is it, that's what he said, is it true that the wealth of the sinner is what? Laid up for all this wealth that is stockpiled over all the world and in the hands of the ungodly? Is it supposed to just sit there while ministries do without? While the gospel is not preached all around the world in power? No, no. Couldn't be the will of God. But anyway, the queen of Sheba heard about this. All the way over in her country. And she heard of the fame. Are you with me now? First Kings 10, 1 Kings 10.1. Of the fame of Solomon with the name of the Lord. She came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train. With camels bearing spices. Very much gold and precious stones. And when she'd come to Solomon. She communed with him about all that was in her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king which he failed to explain to her. How many understand wisdom is better than money? Right? Oh, glory to God. But if you study in Proverbs, wisdom's connected with money, making money and getting rich. And the Bible said when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and skill and the house he had built, the food of his table... The seating of his officials, the standing at attention of his servants, their apparel, their clothes, their cupbearers, his ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord. She was breathless and overcome. Because of what? We're talking about glory and riches. Do you see this? When she saw, she was there apparently for a little while. And when it was time to eat, 
And she saw how the people came in there that set up the food and how they served it and how they were dressed. And with the precision and with the beauty and with the glory that they operated. And she saw Solomon when it was time for him to go up to the Lord's house and pray or to bring an offering. He'd stand up. Everybody stand up around him. And there was this beautiful entrance out and to the house of the Lord. And the fanfare and the clothes and the beauty. The Bible said she lost her breath. She was like, oh, wow. She said, it was true report. That I heard in my own land of your acts and your sayings and wisdom. I didn't believe it until I came and my eyes have seen. And behold, the half was not told me. The wisdom and goodness exceeds the fame that I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you hearing your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He made you king to execute justice and righteousness and she gave him 120 talents of gold before she left. (laughs) How many believe when the man's ways please the Lord? He'll make even his enemies to be at peace with him. He'll cause money to come to him and riches and glory to come. It's the will of God. It's the plan of God. And how many believe this is representative? Is there language in here that you've heard in other parts of the scripture? Like the New Testament? The half has never been told? What? what? What's that about? How many believe when we see the Lord? How many believe in heaven and in the completed house of the Lord, when we see the way the angels operate, when we see the way the saints will stand up and sing, when we say the beautiful robes and we see the operations of the Lord, people are going to go, oh, glory to God. I, we never, never heard the half of it. How is he supposed to be represented down here? We can't compete with heaven, but we can sure do the best The best that is available. And we can believe God until we come up to the place where people see and go, whoa. Boy, did you see how those singers came out? Did you hear that? Did you hear the sound system in that place? Wow. Did you see the video feed? Did you see the case that the tape came in? Did you see the toilet paper holders in that place? Huh? Did you see the flowers? Did you see that? Is this the will of God? Are all his things to be conducted this way? I mean, in the New Testament, he said, let everything be done decently and in order. Now, that's not structured and dead. That's everything has its own place and everything is beautiful and everything is arranged and everything is a right and money is no object. Whatever it costs, that's what it costs. But if it represents the Lord well. How many with me on this now? I'm not just talking to hear myself think on this. I believe this. I'm sowing towards this. The church is sowing towards this. Amen. I'm thankful. Don't you mention I'm thankful. Two years old and we're blessed like we are. I'm thankful. But I believe we serve a God who is so much bigger. He's so much greater. He can bring us up to a place. Hallelujah. Where people come in and they go, whoo. Oh. Wow. How about when they come visit you when you have them over to your house for dinner? Huh? And they just walk through your garage and go, whoo. You blessed, ain't you, brother? You go, that's right. You got that right. They see your silverware on your table. They see your stuff. They see how you operate. Does it glorify God? The more that you're blessed, does it glorify Him when you're living a godly life? Oh, hallelujah. I believe some people are stirred about this. But you have to have some tenacity with this because the world is the world. And life is as it is. And you stay in here a little bit and you can get stirred up. But then if you go outside and you go back to substandard stuff, you get to thinking, well, you know, that's all fine and good, I guess. But that's just pie in the sky. That's not real life. 
you got to make up your mind. You're looking at somebody that came from poverty. You're looking at somebody that lived in a terrible conditions, shoot them up alley, downtown, used furniture, drove junk, wore junk. But I'm telling you, I got it in my heart decades ago. God's a big God. He's a good God. He can bring me up. He can put me in a position where I can bless other people. I can have something to do something with. And no, you may not see it. You might not see it for months. You might not see it for a year. Just stay after it. I mean like a dog with a bone. You say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, no, this is mine. I'm coming to that place. I'm getting to that place. I will not stay broke all my life because I don't have to. I don't have to. It's not the way. I'll not stay sick all my life. I don't have to. I don't have to. Jesus bought it and paid for it. And here I come. Here I come. Here I come. Stand up on your feet and praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.